You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are here discussing Dead Little Roosters, Rooster Teeth's third edition of the Little Roosters interactive whodunit series directed by Josh Flanagan and Fiona Nova. And Herds, Flex, we have some sad news. I know, we've, we've been bamboozled. We've been bamboozled. Bamboozled. We said framed. last week on the show that if we got any of the last few predictions wrong we would be giving a point to sean britain and i'm here to announce that sean britain will in fact mm-hmm. be getting the points C- can i for this say edition of the show look for <laughs> the record i thought i was quite clever seeing that isa's pencil was the hand of creation I did as well but I, I suppose it does make sense in hindsight that eric would be killed by his creation yes because he was he was the one who made the monkey and the monkey's the killer that's right but he didn't get away and that makes me sad oh well uh, we'll have to save his soul in the next Iteration of Dead Little Roosters. Ghost Little Roost. Dead Little Ghosts? There's a pun here somewhere, I'm sure. Let's quickly go through the poem just to recap what's sure. happened. Locks of gold and quick to quip. The first was touched by toxic tip. Revolving death at dire strait. The second slain one of its eight. Pinnacle of things that were. The third met thorn symbolic spur. Taste of trouble. Weapon flown. The fourth filleted. Read what was sown. Bold of will but muddled mind. The fifth was felled by double bind. Prey of lies and lifted prose. The sixth spiraled into their woes. Keyless cooped in trepidation. The seventh succumbed to hand of creation. Rivalry of siblings past. The eighth ended as first forecast. For the ninth, the killer, justice was fated, so the tenth survived and celebrated. I want to say I was very happy with the rival siblings thing. I was happy to have predicted at least one of the deaths yeah. on air. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told, there's a part of me that wonders if this was kind of something that came about because they had a few different alternatives Maybe. for the solution. Um, I mean, it seems like, in a sense, like the obvious solution because Issa was a writer on the show, so they put themselves at the end there. Yeah, and obviously when you look through a lot of these, they are intentionally meant to be a little goofy and clever and not necessarily the most obvious thing that comes of the riddle. Sure. So there were intentionally red herring elements thrown in there. So whilst we could sit here and be like, oh, but the the, the more clear sounding and foreshadowed answer was like, that's oh, not the spirit of I'm, the game. I'm not worried about what was like clearer or foreshadowed. Yeah. Like it's, it's goofy and silly. I'm just thinking about like structurally keeping more characters around. Like, as I said last week on the show, the decision to keep Michael on as a corpse was like an incredible decision yeah. <laughs> to keep him on and have his, energy his presence let's yeah. say you know as part of the show with Lindsay, it was incredibly clever well i mean the fun thing with michael was that obviously while they're playing with his quote-unquote corpse he's yeah. he's breaking character because he can't keep himself still and that's like part of the fun of that mm-hmm. in that nature having one like 10 minute episode that's slightly weaker to help support the nature of the game is totally fine it's like having a murder mystery, for example, a more traditional murder mystery book where you have a more twisty culprit that is foreshadowed the whole time along, but you do have to kind of slow down and burn things out at the end. I was still on the edge of my seat, you know, up until that final episode. Yeah. You know, seeing if all of our predictions, all the things that we'd theorize would come true. And that's very much in the spirit of murder mystery. Totally. Mm. And honestly, the- the most entertaining part to me of the entire show was the reveal that the narrator detective Trevor that we had <laughs> all right. along was actually just in the room with the culprit the yeah. entire time. And that they, was amazing. They add him into the poem. It's like, yeah. and also Trevor died. It's great. Yeah. 
It's it's so it's fantastic, and I really love the sequence because Trevor's been in this like black amorphous space the entire time, even when he's been on phone calls with people. And then they kind of reshoot a couple of those, but showing him being in the culprit's room. And mm. I thought that was a really fun, clever way of just kind of poking fun at what's been going on this whole game. Because one of the gags through the show, and I think the Rooster Teeth community, but I'm not sure on the origins of this, is that uh-huh. Alfredo and Trevor are kind of interchangeable characters for Apparently. some reason. For some reason, who knows? Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed Trevor, actually. And I did like that they went the extra mile to show that... Trevor was, you know, not just narrating and like uh, acting as a framing device, but that within the context of the the mystery that they yeah. were setting up, he was writing and then Nicodemus should say this and this character says that. It adds that extra element of whimsy and and shows that like even though we know watching a Rusi production that it's all going to be very meta and silly and not to be taken seriously, yeah. Trevor kind of retroactively justifies that in a sense, like within the true narrative or like the serious narrative, which I yeah. like a lot. I think the other thing that was really good about that is that our culprit this time around compared to the other two little rooster series, I felt mm. had an actually compelling motive mm. that was actually set up. Oh yeah. It's foreshadowed from the very first episode in the most like, how do I put this? The most tropey way possible. Yeah. Like, Nicodemus became rich or his parents were became rich from gambling and winning all the gambles. And so, of course, the culprit is someone who was, like, wronged by one of those gambles. Compared to, for example, the first series of Dead Little Roosters where you get to the end and the entire motive is a meta gag. And that's yeah, fine, as we've established, because that's the Rooster Teeth tone. But I think that having simultaneously the Rooster Teeth tone and a credible motive made the ending way more satisfying here. Yeah. I think that this is story does a really good job of balancing both the serious and the silly. I think that that is the highest praise I can give it. Uh, that that and the general production quality. I can't stop all the sets and the costumes and everything. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's even some of the digital effects were pretty pretty good. You know, <laughs> we we went back to rewatch a couple of episodes and we had completely forgotten about the talking penis mirror in, oh, yeah. in one of the I, earlier episodes. I had not forgotten. I had just not decided not to mention. Oh, okay. it's awful. It's, awful. it's very <laughs> I, ridiculous. Is that? I, I assume that's a reference to something to do with with Blaine. I just I don't know how to categorize. Uh, yeah, it in my brain. I couldn't find that in the admittedly <laughs> very limited research I did on it. I don't know what to tell you about the talking penis mirror. It just is ridiculous. It just is ridiculous. Flex, on the subject of dumb things and yes. hilarious things, can I ask what was your favorite death? Was it Trevor's? Was that your favorite like kill on the show? Um, or, or was there one that you thought uh, was, you know, physically or metaphorically perhaps greater? I don't know. What was your favorite kill? I think Trevor was definitely uh, my favorite on the show. I feel, I feel like that as well of all of them has the longest shelf life. Okay. If that makes sure. sense, that's a joke that doesn't need to be contextualized by the other shows. I feel like the, the one that sticks in my head weirdly is Blaine's. I think just the realization of the double bind and oh, the meaning yeah. of that phrase still sticks with me. I like the fact that we are dealing with what what one might call a like narratively binding riddle and the binding contract is what killed him. Look, it's like it works on many layers. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I, I was going to say that that one doesn't really have a shelf life. Well, as we were talking about God, last week. That is week. such a dry way to talk about it. That's like, what? we're talking about <laughs> a show mean? being funny and being so unbelievably clinical. It's it's very typical of us. I'm sorry. I can't help it. I just, I'm blaming I me, fun. not you. Good. You should be blaming you. <laughs> I'm just as much to blame, but I deserve none of it. Uh, but yeah, like, look, I, I, I just like that the 
deaths occur, as I said last week, they occur in the last like 30 seconds of the episode. And so they're always punchy. They're always sticking with you. There is no death except for Eric's. Which is the worst. Which is the worst death. It's the other we haven't really both, talked about. Both because, because we got it wrong. We're just disappointed. Yeah. Like, it's, look, here's a grudge. Eric should have lived, damn it. But yeah, no, I, I like, I think that the, the way that the show is structured really stuck out to me. Um, and the fact that the last thing you're left with at the end of every episode is not, you know, the clue that you've been fixating upon for the last 10 minutes or 20 minutes. It's the death that just happened. That's what like sticks in your brain. It's good. It's misdirection. I like it. There we go. All right. Well, we will be back towards the end of this show to discuss the mystery elements of this story, how it all fits together in the end. And our final thoughts on interactive fiction in general uh, before we return to books. All of them. All of our thoughts about interactive murder mystery fiction will be <laughs> disclosed by the end of this episode. That's not true. All righty. You're listening now. to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here discussing Rooster Teeth's Dead Little Roosters, directed by Josh Flanagan and Fiona Nova. Yay. We'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. We are discussing Dead Little Roosters from Rooster Teeth. And joining us on the line all the way from Texas is Josh Flanagan, one of the sharp minds behind this clever mystery series. Josh, it's so good to have you here with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And good morning to you. Good evening to me. (laughs) Good evening, of course, Josh. Now, it's pretty clear from the way that Dead Little Roosters was was filmed that you were constrained by social distancing, uh, restrictions in making it all come together. Was there anything of the original plan for the show that you had to abandon before the pandemic spun it all around? No, it's, it's actually the opposite. Like we were trying to think of what kind of show we could film in a pandemic. And the the other showrunner, Fiona Nova, um, we were both wanting to do a murder mystery and kind of crash these two ideas together. And she had already kind of come up with, oh, what if people were stuck in a hotel or something, uh, you know, and, and stuck in their rooms. And so I just had to figure out what the plot point was to bring people in. So we kind of worked together like, Oh, it'd be interesting to have a murder mystery where the murder has already happened and people, the police have already come and people are already, um, you know, sectioned off in their rooms, like awaiting questioning and kind of pick it up there. So, so yeah, it was, it was conceived because of the pandemic specifically. So it was very much a case of, of the restraints, you know, bringing ingenuity, you know, having to work within limitations, brought something kind of new to the table. I, I guess Rooster Teeth, you know, it's, it's roots back in the day uh, has always been about that sort of thing, working with a lower budget or a lower amount of people to produce something unique and different. Did you look to previous shows for inspiration in that respect or? Um, well, so this is technically the third season of this show, right? Like it's got, it got a new name, Dead Little Roosters, but before it, there was 10 Little Roosters and 11 Little Roosters and, and 10 Little Roosters was very much in that vein. It was, we made that in 2014. I say we, it was me. Um, but we, but that was and in terms of scrap. The reason I say that is because you're talking about kind of the scrappiness of it. And like, that was a show where I wrote it. I edited it. I produced it. I did like some of the wardrobe on it, you know, like I did so much on it. Um, and I edit every week I was editing. I remember, um, it was a week between releases and I just gotten the pilot done just in time to air. So I would basically cut it until 30 minutes before it was supposed to go live and then kick it online 
and hopefully no one knew for the better, but it was, yeah, Sounds it like was fun. pretty stressful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember watching that kind of when it came out and, you know, I never would have got the impression that it was kind of that down to the wire. It felt pretty resolute to me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> That's the impression you were going for. Yeah. So yeah, back, back then it was very scrappy and luckily, um, you know, I mean, I made the first season for, I think 25,000 or something. I made it for nothing because I did everything. And this one was, you know, I don't know, somewhere in the realm of maybe 300,000. So it's so still lower budget thing, but definitely like have gotten to a point where I can get, I mean, the reason Devil Roosters look so amazing, like with those sets and those costumes and stuff is because we were able to hire good people to do it. So, yeah, I mean, the look is so defined this season. They're like incredibly bright color palette, everything unified so that you know where you are the second the camera cuts for something where you're jumping between so many scenes and characters so often. I thought that it was really good having that extra kind of visual hit to just make sure your brain was immediately ready when things changed over. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, you know, and again, that was also something that that was also partially born out of the pandemic too. It's like, well, we know people are going to be, we know they're stuck in these rooms. These rooms have to look good in a lot of ways as people kind of try and, and solve the mystery along with it. They need to learn how to orient themselves like based on what's in the rooms. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned people solving it along. What are some of the most challenging aspects of trying to keep the puzzle fresh when you've got on hundreds of thousands of long running fans picking apart every decision, every prop, every moment of the video. It's it's hard because you know that you're gonna disappoint somebody. So you and you want you want everyone to, to love it and think you're a genius. And uh so there's a lot of pressure to like make some <laughs> clever things. So a lot of times I would go on, you know, Discord or or Reddit or wherever and you'd read these theories and people kind of like you said would be deep diving these these things that had no meaning. I had no intent it's like, oh the order of the the vases on the shelf is red, green, blue, yellow. Like that must be, and this person's in this room. And it's like, no, that's no. So I kind of like tweeted and did some stuff to try to counter steer um, to some degree, but I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, you have to sit back and workshop the story itself or something that's going to be satisfying. And then, you know, I play a lot of, I feel like I pull a lot of my puzzles in some way from video game logic. Like there's a lot of, weird enough, like I, I return to Mario 64 a lot to look at how that <laughs> game teaches you its rules and then breaks those rules and a handful of other games too. And obviously like a lot of murder mysteries, um, a big one for this one was the ABC murders. It's hard, man. There's I feel like they've done every murder mystery has been done. So you just kind of go and yeah. steal and remix from the best. I, I think <laughs> one of the really fun things about the series consistently ongoing is how many of the murders happen uh, by people who just don't end up being the culprit in the end. You know, everyone's involved in making sure every murder happens, and it's a great part for the actual interactive game for the audience, but also the implausibility of it is so well-driven by some of those murder mysteries that you've clearly been inspired by. Yeah, I mean, if you're saying every character is an idiot, yes, that's usually the case. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, um, yeah, at the same time, it's... Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, in some of that, you know, there's some plot convenience in there too. Sometimes like if you think too hard about it and go like, oh, wait, if this person hadn't done this, but how would they know? It's like, shh, you just put the pillow over their head. Like, shh, shh, <laughs> just let, you just, know, just move on. Just don't think about it too hard. <laughs> you, you've mentioned there are a lot of different, you know, influences, murder mystery, you know, stories being the, the most prevalent, I would hope. Um, <laughs> one of the fun things about the the Little Roosters series for for Roosters fans is the references that you have put into to other shows in there. Uh, or, or how does that change the writing process for you? Is it additional legwork to keep on top of everything, or do the other shows just help kind of fuel the process? 
Um, it's been different every season. Like I would say with 10 little roosters, you know, way back, I leaned real heavy into inside lore. So there's, there's a lot of jokes where looking back, like if you don't know, if you don't know Ruby, you don't know this, you know, this or that character from achievement hunter or things like that. I think sometimes people would be left a little bit hanging. Um, so I've tried to kind of soften that or add a bit of a learning curve to it over the years of like, Oh, maybe you don't know what Ruby is, but here's, kind of the handoff and then still putting jokes and references um, kind of in the background to, to be rewarding. And also like, especially with the, the when people trying to solve the murder mystery and the clues referencing other shows, that is such an easy area for people to spiral, you know, and yeah. start digging through every, everything they've ever seen of the yeah. series, especially something like Ruby that's like eight seasons deep. So I, I, I tried to make it easier as the seasons went where it didn't go so crazy. But again, you get on discord and people are like, Oh my God, it's the same pattern as Yang's gauntlets and season five. And you're exactly. like, no, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I appreciate that for, for dead little Rooster specifically, you had a list of all of the different weapons that could be used in the murders. Uh, that meant that you, you know, if you weren't familiar with a specific object, you could look for that object rather than trying to sort through all the seasons, all the eight volumes or whatever of a show. You could say, ah, this specific item, let's find out what shows that from. Let's look at the Wikipedia or whatever and like figure out what's going on there. Um, I, I guess, was that something that you put together very early on that list or, or did that kind of come together towards the end? It's a mix because you you do, you know, we would figure out a murder weapon and then we would immediately add it to the list. So it got to a point where we had all, you know, seven or eight murder weapons on there and we're like, okay, now we need like 15 more to okay, throw people cool. off and, and whatever. And so we would kind of think through those. And sometimes once we thought of like a piece of the riddle or something and we had the solution like Blaine... Gibson dies by marriage of all things. Yeah. Um, his his Fantastic. mom gets married and yeah, and, the double bind. And Watch him. out! Right, the great. double bind. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's my favorite death. Actually, yeah, I think it's ours too. Me yeah. too. Yeah, <laughs> quite sure. comfortably. <laughs> this is a long, one of the longest bits on the show that just went for arguably way too long, but the payoff was perfect. But, so I, I love right. it. <laughs> <laughs> but so when, so you build everything backwards from that, right? So I had that was one of the first deaths I figured out, and I wrote the riddle for it, and it's like okay, double bind. So now, and I know it's marriage. But what can we use to full them for double bind? Okay, maybe like handcuffs because there's two cuffs or things you could be bound with. We could do rope. We could do like a jump rope, you know, or things Blaine would work out with. And then we seed everything back from that. So the logic of the game comes backwards once I've got the murder actually figured out. Yeah, I mean, one thing uh, that I'm still not entirely sure how it works behind the scenes for you, but supposedly there's a lot of improv that goes into putting together, particularly some of the skits for this show. How do you make sure that you still have that dynamic and the enthusiasm that comes out of improv without making those details just completely lost to the wind in amongst other banter? It's tough. I mean, sometimes you have to to um, you know, cut some of the improv that you like because it is misleading. Or sometimes you don't realize that you've created something misleading with the improv until the episode comes out. Again, the fans dissect it and you go, damn, that is good logic. And that's not what I meant. This was a particularly interesting season too because we shot it in quarantine. So none of the other, there's very few instances, like maybe two or three instances where two actors actually share the screen and otherwise they're on their, in their rooms. You know, it's intercut phone calls or talking through the wall or whatever. And so we actually kind of had to do surrogate improv, I called it, where someone would improvise and we would, me and Fiona would improvise with them. And then we would have to make notes of all the new stuff that wasn't in the script. And then when we got to the person they were talking to, we would feed them the improv as well as their actual scripted line. So it ended up just becoming this like crazy game of telephone um, to make the improv work. Is there a cap on difficulty that you try and set as you're writing things out? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm very conscious of the difficulty. And so, you know, I think something from the older, like 10 little roosters, I think is pretty hard. Like, and, um, you know, I, cause I, and I know the stats too, like 50,000 people played 10 little roosters and there's 16 questions, um, you can get right. And only one person out of 50,000 went 16 for 16. So to me, that's like chef's kiss, like perfect difficulty. Um, same thing happened this season. We had one person with a perfect score and like three people with the only missed one. So, and then the kind of curve goes like that, you know, every season, People tell me it's too hard, so but I don't. I can't make it too easy, so it's it's tough. All righty, well, Josh, we will let you go. Thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It's been an absolute pleasure, and we will of course have links up on the podcast if you want to find what Josh is up to, and of course get to the series itself. So thank you once again for joining us. Thank you all so much for having me. Have a good have a good rest of your morning. <laughs> we will have a good day. <laughs> you too. <laughs> You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here. We are discussing a dead little roosters by Josh Flanagan there and Fiona Nova, and we'll be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here with your murder mystery world tour. We are discussing Dead Little Roosters by Rooster Teeth, an interactive whodunit directed by Josh Flanagan and Fiona Nova. And Herds, mm, I want to begin the mystery segment by by raising one final thought uh, that kind of occurred to me as we were getting towards today's discussion. And that is that even though I, as an individual, have long since drifted from just, I suppose, the, the Rooster Teeth family of humor, how eloquently this dragged me back in and you know i guess murder mystery is the perfect weapon to drag me back into anything but i did want to just congratulate this show before we kind of tear it a few final shreds um in in doing something that i really doubted could be done by the team at rooster teeth just because i feel i had outgrown uh Mm. certain parts of their (laughs) style of humor and it was really lovely to see that um like an in almost unintentional grudge I built up could be broken down through something this fun. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of pent up frustration here. It sounds like (laughs) Look, I've always been a fan of Rooster Teeth. I've been watching Ruby since it aired. I'm still on that gravy train. still rolling. I've discovered this over the course of, I didn't know that Ben was as into Rooster Teeth. I'm a closet Rooster Teeth fan. When I suggested dead little roosters to, to herds here, (laughs) he was like, what's that? And I was like, Oh, I guess uh, I guess Ben's kind of fallen off the Rooster Teeth bandwagon as well. No, I just no. watch the animated show. <laughs> Look, I'm all about that life. No matter nowhere, Genlock, all that nonsense. It's all good. Um, but yeah, no, I I definitely agree that it's it's good to just like sit down and enjoy a show from Rooster Teeth that I can enjoy more or less wholeheartedly. Like I, we were very clinical, you know, in the last sort of in the first part of the show today. But I do feel like. It doesn't have any serious flaws. It doesn't have yeah. any like huge holes in it. There's a whole series of of breakdowns of the individual weeks. There's also I'm currently got I've got this like overarching guide. It's called like the Art of Sleuthing. Yeah, uh, which is very very cool. Um, it's got Josh Flanagan's like five rules for understanding and picking through the show. And he ends on a on a six point, which isn't actually numbered. Which is like we want you to solve the riddles, which I think is awesome. He yeah. like clearly understands murder mysteries and riddles and how they should be presented, which I love. Um, and five, which is my, my favorite point, certainty and rabbit holes. And there's a lot of anecdotes here. Apparently a lot of people would just dive down the rabbit hole, say, I think this is the interpretation of this clue, and then try and make a similar point four, like make everything fit that one solution. Yeah. 
and that causes problems. If you, for example, if you say, I think the killer is the person who died at the start and there's no way to critique that answer because we'll never see that character again, you're in a rabbit hole. You need to get out of there. I think that is an excellent point that I wanted to transition over to talking about how this game is a brilliant example of those murder mystery principles. Because I think one thing that I've had a lot of people ask me is how we have gotten so good at solving murder mysteries. Practice. And I think that, yeah, I mean, practice is one of them, but the other one is in that last principle there in that when you are solving a murder mystery, you have to be able and willing to go, I am wrong, let's go back to the start. Because there's a very easy... Uh, way out in murder mystery where you go oh i was right and these clues you know led down this garden path more than the one that the author did and i think that's unfair but if you kind of take the chance to reflect yourself on how you came to that conclusion you'll often realize that you're kind of leading yourself down that path more than the clues are yeah absolutely and i really like that this show just hammers you with that when we look at certain riddles, as it says in there, that maybe lead more obviously one way than the other, you know, we both thought like, oh yeah, hand of creation, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, didn't think about how many of the other clues (laughs) pointed uh, to slightly more solidified concepts of who did what at the company. For me, the obvious flaw in that, because I kind of came up with that on a flash of inspiration, that was false. It it would be a cover solution, except that it doesn't, really tie into Rooster Teeth lore in like a strong, like it ties to the fact that, that uh, she's a writer, but it doesn't tie into any of the shows or any of the extra trivia. Whereas the fact that Eric, you know, created the the source monkey, the monkey, whatever is like Rooster Teeth lore. Yeah. Like if we had had the time to kind of sit down and reflect on our own answer there, perhaps we would have thought to ourselves, Oh, that doesn't really fit the archetype of the other puns. It doesn't fit uh, the, the tone, I guess, or the structure of the other riddles. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately for us. Yeah. And at the same time, it's also a really great example of how to lay clues in a visual medium, because yeah. obviously through this show, you do have the extra resources of the website, the clue breakdowns, the structure, the poem to kind of guide you through a visual adaptation. But one of the notorious problems that we've spoken about several times on this show, bringing stuff to screen is how to show things on screen mm. in a way that allows the audience to actually have the time to take them in. And I think it's really interesting how almost in a kind of joking format, somewhat fittingly, Rooster Teeth has stumbled across this very efficient way of doing it by having weekly iterations and a set structure that the audience can come to expect. It encourages people to pause the frame, look back at what's actually in the room, look at the extra details. And it means that the kind of effect you get from a stage production where the only things that are on stage tend to be the things that need to be there the yep. Chekhov's gun principle it, Minimalism. Yep. it very much brings that to life in a medium that often struggles with it because of this grasp for realism that you get in visual storytelling I will say I really am admiring looking through the website Rooster's attempts and Josh Flanagan's attempts to bring more people into the murder mystery fold yeah. into Dead Little Rooster's project they not only do they respect the work that they're that they're doing and the product that they're making, but they also respect the audience. Mm. And that's like the most important thing when you're making a murder mystery Absolutely. or any kind of interactive fiction. You got to respect the time and the attention and the knowledge of the people that you're playing with. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing that was really interesting, for example, with the Obra Dinn. 
Um, mm-hmm. When we look back at that and the mechanic of the stopwatch and being able to jump around to the various deaths, it had a very simple gameplay loop so that the gameplay element of the game never really would get in the way of the story of the game. Mm-hmm. Or for example, in The Last Express, I know that this was a very sure. personal experience because of my incompetence. Absolutely. But I felt like the mechanics really got in the way of me enjoying that story. Interesting. And I do not fault the story for that. You I should fault not. my own inability I for sh- that. I would never I would never fault Lars Express for anything. <laughs> Jordan Mechner is my idol. Uh, look, I mean, look, on my side of things for Lars Express, I always think about the way that the game treats defeat and failure as a learning experience. Yeah. There's always like, if even if you screw up completely horribly, you always get like an entertaining death sequence. You get yeah. one of the best jokes in the entire game about the dynamite. And you only get it through a fail state. I love that. Yeah. I love and the thing I wanted to compliment uh, dead little roosters on, on that front is that it's a show that very much encourages you to re-experience it by going back through pausing, taking a look at the set dressing And as we've constantly mentioned on this show, at least I think the rewatch of a crime fiction product or the reread of a crime fiction product is the Mm. true experience where you get to see it once all the puzzle pieces have fallen into place. For sure, for sure. And Dead Little Roosters is built for that in a way that I think is extremely commendable. I mean, or you could just look up all the answers and then read through once. That's just... I'm done with this. All right. Well, Ben's <laughs> off the show. Oh, it's, no. it's just Flex now. On. It's just Flex nah, now. Bring Sean on. Yeah, no, I, can, I can live with that combination. Okay. <laughs> oh, that'd be... Oh, boy. Good you're, luck. You're Good listening Sean. to Death of the Reader. Congratulations to Sean Britton on winning a point for no effort. Yeah. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to be doing a, a new hot novel. Oh! We're going into a stretch those. from interactive fiction to metafiction. Woo! And I wanted to take a nice, easy dive in with the new uh, Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osmond. This is a novel about a group of retirees who have a murder mystery club and suddenly a murder happens. That sounds just my speed. We are going I'm to be so excited. <laughs> we are going to be covering chapters 1 to 32 this next week. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to sinking my teeth, my my loose teeth. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I, I'm trying to make an, uh, an old man pun. It's fine. This is Death of the Reader. We have been discussing Dead Little Roosters by Rooster Teeth, directed by Josh Flanagan and Fiona Ooh. Nova. If you wanted to give yourself a try of this series, there is a free trial for their subscription service on the website, so you can watch it. Thoroughly recommend it. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. 